0: Welcome to the Talking Footy Podcast. Each week across the footy season, we are going to be talking with the biggest names in the game. I'm Brad Sewell, and this week we're talking to Jeff Kennett. Jeff Kennett turned a successful career in politics and business into a successful period as an AFL club president. Jeff was named Hawthorne president in 2005 and set the club up for one of the most successful eras in AFL history. As part of this podcast I discuss with Jeff, how he fell in love with Hawthorne, how he celebrated the 2008 flag. And I'll never
1: forget on the day we won the grand final, I didn't go down on the ground, I just stood there in the stand. It wasn't my win, it was the players, it was the coaches, and I just observed
0: everyone enjoying the moment. Dealing with Alistair Clarkson up close, leaving a legacy behind that led to three straight premierships. And the outcomes
1: were four premierships over a period of time, Including free
0: after I left. But we set the thing up to fire. And his thoughts on reforming player welfare and player transition. He was disruptive, he was passionate, loathe him or love him, he got results. And to me, he's become a trusted friend, never short of a word by the way of advice. Let's go to Jeff. We're talking footy. There are a number of different hats, Jeff, that you've worn uh, throughout your illustrious career. A short life, yes. short life. Because um, I'm only approaching the halfway no, mark. You've got a long way to go. That's exactly right. But looking forward today to reminiscing with you about your time at Hawthorne, mm-hmm. throughout your presidency, at where and how did you first fall in love with the Hawks? Oh, that goes back to when I was a child. Um,
1: My father used to take me down to Glenferry Road. Uh, He had made a little collapsible stand that I could stand on so I could see above the people ahead of me. And we used to be standing in the end near Glenferry Road and as you look at the oval in front of you, to your right there was a male urinal. (laughs) And I remember it well because normally uh, the ground was packed... There was very little grass on the ground itself, so it was a mud pile. And unfortunately, the urinal never worked. So there was this wafting (laughs) smell of urine uh, that used to hit you every time you went down there. So it was a very local, it was a great experience because you're there with your father, lots of other mainly men at that end of the oval. And it was just wonderful watching John Peck and all those sorts of uh, people that you probably, Brad, have never heard of.
0: No, I certainly know those names, absolutely. That's um, right. But you hear so many I saw f- them play. You hear so many fond memories of men like yourself and their childhood growing up on those suburban grounds. Pretty special. Yes, and, you know, it's a different game today. Not
1: only the way it's played, but the environment, the ground. So today you go to a ground, you have a seat, you have warmth, you have protection, hmm. sometimes... And I often wonder whether that's a good thing or a bad thing because oh, there really yeah. is a lot of that that closeness, that, you know, sort of spirit, the smells that were yeah. there then. Yeah, It's
0: almost antiseptic now. So from a distance, the brown and gold has always been in your blood. Mm-hmm. Um, when and how did um, you were you approached to become involved in a, an official capacity? Yes, while I was
1: Premier... Uh, I hosted a number of functions and did a number of things for the club uh, in my suite of offices mm-hmm. there in Treasury Place. Uh, I was working on, after that, getting Waverley mm-hmm. so that we worked out how to get two bidders into the race. And I said to both of them, the only way you're going to get this, I thought, was if in fact you had a community aspect. Yep. So, he convinced them both to put up a dollar and to provide facilities for Hawthorne. And that's how it turned out in the end. <laughs> the government sold the land on the condition that there was going to be a tenant who would be Hawthorne. And yeah. Mervac provided uh, a lease to Hawthorne, or well, it wasn't a lease, it was in fact the ownership of six bays, which Hawthorne then did up, but with the assistance of Mervac. And that yeah. was the basis of our move to Waverley. And then I was asked, it must have been 2004, uh, to come onto the board yep. with the objective of taking over from Ian Dicker. Uh, and the two of us who joined the board at that time, myself and Martin Ralston, we were mm. both thinking that we, one of us might have been the president. And I
0: got the gig and took over at the end of 2005. Hmm. So Ian, I guess with your assistance, orchestrated Waverly and then he was probably one of the first to push the Tasmanian aspect. But you really solidified that for the Hawks and in a sense almost future proof the club after what had been a, a pretty scary sort of decade prior to that. Yes, we hadn't
1: won a premiership since 91. Mm. Uh, and you're right, Ian Dicker, in the name of Hawthorne, and St Kilda both played two games down there. And then you might remember St Kilda pulled out. They didn't yep. want to continue, and I well remember and was reminded of it when I had dinner with the, or dinner with the AFL and the Tassie people uh, recently, and Paul Lennon was there. Paul Lennon was the Labor Premier of Tasmania at the time, mm-hmm. and he and I went and had a game of golf at Barnboogle, and during that round of golf I suggested to him that Hawthorne would be very prepared to take over the two games of St Kilda, and he said that was a good deal and he supported it Uh, and we worked out the fundamental arrangements. The only sad note about that was I had to concede publicly that I lost the round of golf to him (laughs) uh, in order to get the deal done, which I happily did. And that deal has now allowed us in Tasmania to get to a situation where we've got over 9,000 paid-up mm. members, so we're the largest paid-up organisation in Tasmania. We have a wonderful relationship with the community there, not just in the north, but throughout the state. And I was down there recently at a game of football uh, for three days and driving around the state, watching and looking and observing young children in the Hawthorne jumpers. So we're very much part of the, Hawthorne fab- yeah. the Tasmanian fabric. And, of course, it's brought huge riches to Tasmania because it's one of the few sponsorships you can actually measure. So yeah. uh, the government has done a deal. We get about $3 million a year from them. We spend a million of that back in Tassie. But the activity we bring to the state each year is about $58 million of Hawthorne members who go down there like we did the other day, stay for three days, yeah. hotels, accommodation, restaurants, etc. So it's been a... A very,
0: very good relationship for both parties. You're almost an honorary Premier for Tasmania itself. Well, I'm of the view
1: that both Tasmania and Darwin, Northern Australia, the Kimberleys, are the two most exciting places in Australia now. At the extremes. Yep. If you go to Melbourne, Sydney, Brisbane, they've all got things in common. They're all becoming cluttered. The same shops, etc. But Tasmania has a touchback to the 18. 18- buildings. It's got a lot of greenery. Uh, on the other hand, Darwin has that rustic feel, Yeah, yeah. the Kimberleys, etc. So yes, I'm very attached to Tassie oh, right. and uh, love going down there. And we don't just go for games. We often go down there now for
0: four or five hmm. days, drive around, buy a lot of uh, old brass products and things like That's that. That's a beautiful spot. And um, Throughout your tenure from 2005 to 2011, you one of the more outspoken presidents. I did say I wouldn't, they wouldn't hear a word. I'll from get to that. I'm like looking that. forward Sorry. to that part. No, no, good on you. Um, uh, I'm, I'll, I'll quote you this, and this is what <laughs> you said uh, in response to a comment from Jared Whitley on offsiders. They don't have the psychological drive that we have. We've beaten Geelong when it mattered over the last five years consistently.
1: Yes, that caused a bit of a stir. Didn't it? <laughs> when they coordinate together, they're almost unbeatable. What they don't have, I don't think, is the quality of some of our players, but they don't have the psychological drive that we have. We've beaten Geelong when it mattered. Uh, but what I was talking about then, of course, was in finals. I mean, yeah. uh, uh, the matches during the year, in one sense, are just foreplay. Mm-hmm. They're just games you go through getting to the finals yep, and if yep. you meet the finals and up until that stage we had beaten them in the finals uh, but it did cause a fair amount of consternation and the media loved it they did and they gave it a title uh, it had a nice ring to it didn't it, it cursed cursed. yeah i suppose it did uh, didn't worry me at all in no. fact i i missed it when it went i can't imagine people, much worries you. yeah people kept asking me about then all of a sudden the curse was over <laughs> <laughs> and that really upset me. But, no, it was good. It was yeah. good. And it, it it did what football is meant to do. It's meant to distract people from the things that cause the most stress and anxiety, which is where we live, families, yeah. and our work. So football is a wonderful antidote mm. to stress and anxiety. So if my comments caused a bit of hilarity and a bit of jocular sort of... Uh, plenty of that. ...embrace then it was all for a good purpose. Yeah. It like, wasn't done deliberately to do that, of course. But no, of was course. But interpreted.
0: And that, that probably leads into, into the next question you brought up. When you first took the reins, you openly said you would be seen and not heard. Anything mm. football-related, you'll hear from Mark Evans, who was at Football Operations, and yeah. at the time, Ian Robson, CEO, mm. <laughs> who the spokesperson for the club. That yeah. kind of didn't play out. No, it didn't quite work, did it?
1: did it? But I learned something very early on, which I hadn't realised. In politics, the amount of money you're dealing with is considerable, mm-hmm. and you're affecting everyone's life for good mm-hmm. or for bad or a mixture of both. But the emotion attached to politics is very low. Mm-hmm. The value, the financial value, very high. The emotion low. In football, the financial is very low, but the emotion is very high. And as you might remember, then. Uh, the club was, when I took over, losing its sponsors. Yep. Uh, we hadn't won for fourteen, well, more than that. we would uh, less than that. We hadn't won since '91. So I took the job in 2005, and our membership was about 28,000. So morale was pretty low. Yeah. And I realised very quickly, in order to give value back to your members, you can't necessarily deliver a premiership, but you can have your club out there challenging contributing to the public debate about football and social issues so I saw one of my tasks very quickly at a time of rebuilding when we couldn't offer the prospect of a premiership
0: that I had to be active that that active nature that you took was um often at the time perceived from a player's perspective at our and I was a player at the time at our detriment yeah you poke the bear and and uh, you can get bitten or scratched and um he's always been a man of putting himself out there jeff and um you know I, I really do love him as a mate, but it was a uh probably wasn't the the greatest comment at the time, but we kind of felt like we had a um a strategy around media and the way we talk about things and that was probably a little bit outside it. But Jeff was an absolutely outstanding president and you wouldn't change too much about what he did in his time. He, we had some great success under him and he set the club up to be in a really strong position. Um, but with sometimes with the very, very good comes just a little touch of bad and that was probably a comment that I, that I think he'd like to have again. I mean, Jeff is quite a, an outspoken guy and, and nothing that comes out of his mouth sort of surprises us, but it probably did put a little bit of pressure on the rivalry. And... Give me an example. a number of occasions, you walked into um, a match review in 2009 um, and addressed the players as a coach um, and your position uh, as president and was always about the members first. We're here mm. to serve the members. Mm. Um, but on a number of occasions were publicly outspoken um, at the detriment to the players, the coaches and the staff. Well, yes, and you might have felt that,
1: but there would have been a reason for me doing it. And it might have been, for instance, that I felt that the players weren't trying or that there'd been an altercation of some sort. So I players have got to understand, and so do coaches, that they're part of a team. Mm. And you might argue, and there's a lot of validity in it, that you should keep your comments in <laughs> we, I think we argued that a few times. Right. But I also saw the fact that I had to, to represent and satisfy the membership. Yep. And therefore, yes, I made comments. And, uh, you know, the best one I made, well, not the best, no, you but... Had a, few. a lot of a, cover-
0: a cover- what was your, what was your best What was your best oh, comment? not the
1: best, but the one that got most coverage after the Geelong comment that we've yeah. referred to was yeah. probably when after the first game. in one year, I think it was uh, 13, uh, we mm-hmm. lost to Geelong, mm-hmm. and I said, Clarko should be sacked. Yes. Uh, well, that, that, yeah, funnily enough, that's in my notes to right. discuss at and some And what stage. happened then, of course, that got Clarko focused yeah. And we went on to win the Premiership that year. So it was...
0: No, I think you I think no. suggested... Hang on. I think you suggested for i to have a spell... No, no. ..during no, no. 2009? No, no. Well, I can't remember the year. <laughs> <laughs> it's, to, kind of be, it's kind yeah. of important in the context of things. No, no, but
1: I think when I said sack for Coach... <laughs> yep. ..was after that Geelong game, first round in whatever year it was. Yeah. And then we went on to win the Premiership. So that was 13 or 14. That was a few years down the track, yeah. Jeff <laughs> Kennett has often found it hard to say sorry. Today, when he spoke to Seven News... There was no holding back. I apologise unreservedly both to Alistair, his family, and the club. My comments were inappropriate, intemperate, and actually go against everything that I believe in.
0: Jeff, you believe that Alistair Clarkson has stayed too long at Hawthorne, don't you? Uh, yes. So, it, end of the
1: year, Jeff, it's time for Alistair Clarkson to go at the end of this season. I think so. I've... As I've always said, one person on their own doesn't make a difference. A team of people deliver outcomes. Yeah. And I was just one of a team. And in one sense, I was the lightning rod, but I had a very good board, mm-hmm. had a very good administration. We mm-hmm. had, at that stage, a good coaching group, et cetera, et cetera, and a group of players. Yeah. And so, all right, you sit in judgment, you, try, you pull up these individual events, but then you ask yourself, all right, well, what were the outcomes? And, and the outcomes were four premierships Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. over a period of time, Mm. including three after I left. But we set the thing up to fire. And that was terribly important. I remember saying in 2008, when we were doing a bit better than we expected to, Mm -hmm. at a board meeting we got Clarko in, as he always came and addressed the board. And I said, Clarko, is there anything else you need to win this premiership this year? And he's saying, no, we've got everything we need. Mm So That was in 2008. And we went on against the odds. Yep. Uh, In many people's eyes, won the premiership, but it wasn't against the odds in mine. No. And I'll never forget on the day we won the grand final, uh, I didn't go down on the ground. I just stood there in the stand. It wasn't my win. It was the players. It was the coaches. And I just observed everyone enjoying the moment. Uh, And... I think that was the moment at which Hawthorne had said that we're back. Mm-hmm. And I think we've been back since then, uh, although quite clearly we're now going through another rebuilding stage, which mm-hmm. often happens. There's always going to be those, those
0: peaks and troughs. Yeah, so um, I think we're heading for... A... As, a, as, a, as a player on, on the inside, um, and you don't, quite, you don't have that perspective until you look in now as an ex-player and, and reflect upon um, some of those things that we went through, but your, your leadership or management style was, was almost disruptive in that you, you, everyone was on edge, um, particularly after 2008, to maintain those high standards and, and unequivocally you don't apologise for that, but okay. it was destabilising at times. I, well, that may be so,
1: but I don't think my expectations were as high from 2008 on as they were before. So yep. we were building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I knew that 2009 we were probably going to be have a letdown uh, for a number of reasons. One, we lost Crody through yep. injury and he wasn't going to play. Yep. Sam Mitchell, I think, gave the game away at that stage. Mm-hmm. So we lost a few players and therefore to regain our mojo was going to be a big ask. And yeah. it took us then another few years yeah. until we came back. But the fundamentals at the club were right. Mm. And as I said before, I don't care whether you're a coach, a president, or a player, you might feel disrupted. But you can only look at the outcomes. Mm-hmm. And the question is, was that, in your opinion, disruption? Did that contribute to the outcomes? And I would say it was all just part of the, part of the journey. And don't don't forget that underlying that we developed a business plan so you've just gone and got your master's so you understand the importance <laughs> of, of business plans and in 2006 i think we announced our two uh what was it five 250 yeah. plan five years that was the remainder yeah, of my presidency mm-hmm. two premierships which the media laughed at but and thought how terribly arrogant to be saying mm-hmm. But in fact, we got one permission, almost got the second, and then 50,000 members from a base of 28,000. And we got that 50 in about 2009 or 10. So we had a business plan, we stuck to it. Yes, there were moments when there was a bit of aggro, Mm -hmm. uh, but no one should be sycophantic in an organisation. If you've got a different point of view, you ought to express it, Mm -hmm. have your discussions, argument, and move on. Mm -hmm. So I only, in real terms, not totally, but I look at outcomes. And there isn't a club in the competition that has had the success that we've had in the last ten years. None. None.
0: And those those outcomes couldn't be questioned. And a huge part of that success has been the success, succession planning. Yeah. I guess from Ian to yourself, um, yourself to Andrew Newbold, and then yeah, sort of down to the next layer from Vanders to Mitch, Mitch to Hodgie. You- what's your What's your recollection of the handover from from Vanders to? at that time, what we thought was going to be Mitch and Hodge together. Mm. I remember the board meeting,
1: they came in, the two of them, and they said that we have, the players, and we have decided that we'll be joint chairmen, joint captains. And I said to them, sorry, that is not the Hawthorne way. You can't have two leaders. You can only have one. We don't have two premiers. We don't have two prime ministers. (laughs) There may be other clubs with two, and I think Brisbane at that time had four. I said, that's not good enough, go away and decide Who's going to be the leader? We're not going to have two. Yeah. And they went away and they came back and said that they decided Mitch. And that worked exceedingly well. Uh, and then after Mitch, uh, it was always going to be Hodgie. And I think Hodgie took over in 2010,
0: was it? Did Mitch have another year um, after 2008? Yeah. I no, yeah, I think it was 11. So I think Mitch had 8, 9, 10. Hodgie was then 11. Right. So...
1: There was a couple of years and then uh, Hodgie took over Mm. up until uh, last year. So yes, it was smooth, it was considered uh, and it worked very effectively, Mm. I think.
0: No, my view, looking in from the outside, you understand. It can't be argued. And then I guess the appointment of of Stuart Fox um, was important to that as well? Yes, it was very important. it's a great
1: story that I was when
0: I. I have I have I've got a quote here. Michael Gordon wrote a fantastic book, um, "Playing to Win," and if, if you just indulge me here and and let me um, read this and and you can sort of talk about your recollection. But um, he called Clarko out of the team meeting to uh, to have Ian Robson at the time who was CEO uh, speak to Clarko about um, he was leaving uh, and. Clarko's reaction, in your words. Um, In your words, Jeff. Well, in about half a second, Clarko exploded verbally, calling him a traitor and everything under the sun. It was wonderful, you said. (laughs) I sat back. I loved every minute. And then one of the other guys who was close to Ian tried to defend him, and Clarko turned on him and said, the last time you were seen was when your boots were hanging out of his arse. It was glorious.
1: It does sound a bit like me. <laughs> I must admit, uh, Mark, Mark, there's Mark a great Mark. story to be told about all of that, but now is not the appropriate time. Uh, but that was, it wasn't just the coach. We got all the senior management together and Ian had made a decision to go to Essendon. And that's fine, I was very happy with that. Uh, and I said, well, you better inform the senior management quickly, mm-hmm. which is when we called all the senior management together and the coach. And that is a pretty accurate discussion. <laughs> it was one of the most exciting meetings I've <laughs> ever attended. And I just sat back there and observed it. And it was wonderful. But then that did lead to the appointment of Stuart. Mm-hmm. And I have a view in life that when you want to appoint a senior person to a position, you don't necessarily want to take someone at the same level. So I wasn't interested in other CEOs. What I was interested in was finding a assistant CEO, deputy CEO, mm-hmm. COO in the football world who had been well-trained by their CEO, who was perhaps being stifled because the CEO was still in position mm-hmm. and was desperate to try and apply their own skills. So I looked around the whole league and I have a great deal of respect for uh, Brian Cook was the CEO of Geelong, and I looked at his organisation and saw below him he had a guy called Stuart Fox, who had, had been well-trained mm-hmm. not only in football management but also in stadium management. So I rang Stuart up and I said, uh, I'd like to meet you. Oh, he said, what for? And I said, <laughs> well, let's just meet. And we went down and we met halfway between here and Geelong in a, the car park of a service station. <laughs> Uh, And we had our first discussion. And then we looked as though we were getting somewhere. So I actually then returned to that car park where we signed the contract a few weeks later. And the theory of a 2IC wanting to prove themselves proved to be very accurate. Stuart was a very good CEO, uh, a good man manager, uh, and a good knowledge of football, he also had a spine, so at times when you have to be strong yep. as a leader, you don't yep. want to be... You're not, your first objective is not to be popular. First job is to do your job. Yep. And he was able to stand up to others in the club and make a robust presentation to the board when mm-hmm. necessary and to
0: the AFL. So it worked in our it's, advantage. It's said that upon um, Foxy informing Frank Costa about his decision to leave Geelong and, and come to Hawthorne, uh, Frank said to, said to Foxy, if you can work successfully with Jeff for the next couple of years and survive, he will be the Prime Minister of Australia. Well, there might be a ring of truism in that as well.
1: <laughs> I mean, but that's, that's what leadership's about. I mean, that's why the country's in so much bloody trouble. Everyone's trying to please everyone else. Mm-hmm. You can't please everyone. Leadership is not there to be popular. It's there to do a job and deliver outcomes. Mm. So all of those things that you've talked about where you said what I said was to the detriment of or divided the I couldn't give a damn. All I'm interested in is the results. And I think the results speak for themselves, not only in terms of premierships, but in membership. I mean, fancy us at one stage there a year or so ago having the biggest membership in the AFL. You look at our financial position. It all is the result of having a very good base, very good
0: governance and... Very good values. So um, ironically, that comes back to something we touched on before um, in that you said you were going to be seen and not heard. Yes, 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 I Um, can hardly remember that. (laughs) So so, just to refresh your memory, some of the more, uh, how do I coin this, Um, uh, some of your comments that attracted attention in that, uh, and you can determine uh, what, what is true and what is not, you called Andrew Dimitriou. Mm. a benevolent dictator. that would be accurate. (laughs) You claimed women have a future at the elite level of the game. Mm -hmm. You suggested the AFL should start a team in Auckland, New Zealand.
1: Well, let's go back to women. I think that's been proved correct, haven't we? Now have a women's league. No doubt. I actually wanted to be the first club to have a woman player in the male team, Mm -hmm. in the senior team. Mm -hmm. And I kept thinking to myself, gosh, if we could do that, not only does it recognise women, and the fact that more than 50% of the population are women and a lot of our supporters are women, yep. but imagine the sponsorship you'd get for it. Well, the league didn't go for that. We didn't find a <laughs> woman, but we've now got a women's league. So again, 20 years ahead of my time. Yeah, no, no, one,
0: no one can argue that. Um, you're also fined $5,000 for criticising the umpires, saying they are almost bigger than the game itself. Um, and at times you accuse the AFL of giving Collingwood a favourable draw. Oh, there's no question about that. And trying to hand them another premiership. Well, right? absolutely. But now they've diverted their attention away from Collingwood to GWS and <laughs> you know, a couple of other teams. But having said that... Uh, is, it, it? Is, 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 it, is it the, the position or role of a club president to be as outspoken? Oh, Eddie Maguire's outspoken, mm-hmm. and I think his membership
1: love it. They mm-hmm. love Collingwood being in there in the mix. I think our membership liked having their prison out there challenging, giving them... Leadership on a whole range of issues. Sometimes it wasn't appreciated, sometimes it (laughs) was, doesn't matter. But, you know, everyone's different. Uh, I just look at the outcomes. I look at, you know, my style is different. I applied the same style to when I was Premier. We rebuilt the state, Mm. same style at Hawthorne, same style at Beyond Blue. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: now, you know, The best recognised not-for-profit in Australia.
0: What are some of your fondest memories of that, that, that period of time with Hawthorne? I think the fact that we
1: tried to establish quite clearly that the first responsibility of the board is to good governance and the second is to the welfare of all of our employees, whether they be players or administrators. So I would like to think that we were very strong on the second. We tried, as you know, to make sure that everyone was pursuing further education mm-hmm. of which you were part and there mm-hmm. was only one player who didn't undertake that and it concerns me as to what will happen to him in later life uh, so I think we were just a very solid unit you know we're like a chain yep. no one you might have been disappointed in some of the things I said or I might have been disappointed the way you played sometimes but we're a chain is, and nothing broke that
0: chain Is there anything in retrospect that you would change or do differently? I would
1: have won a premiership every year, I suppose, (laughs) but outside of that, no. No. And if you do win a premiership every year, you become complacent. So you've got to keep working to achieve. If things happen easily in life, you don't understand or accept the value of it. So no, I wouldn't change anything. And there's no point talking like that. It's history, it's gone.
0: Mm -hmm. So you can learn from history
1: though. Yeah, but that's for today and tomorrow. You can't learn from history and go back and undo what's already occurred. So Mm -hmm. I never look over my shoulder,
0: apart from learning along the way. Okay, in in the learnings that you've had, and if you were to become president of Tasmania's first AFL team, Hmm. would you do anything differently? Uh, No, I think
1: I'd use leadership is very simple. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether it's in government, not for profits, or sport. You've got to have a vision. You've got to have good people around you, first or second best in their profession. Mm -hmm. You've got to develop the strategy. You've got to have the advocacy and then you've got to allow those you lead to see the benefit of what you've been trying to achieve. So they've got to realise, without being told by the leader that we've succeeded, Mm -hmm. that you have succeeded. So what was our mission? Our reward was winning a premiership. Our reward was building up our membership. So no, I wouldn't change anything. it doesn't matter whether it's, as I say, a not-for-profit or a sporting club. Yeah. The principles of leadership are very,
0: very simple. I guess besides the position that you left the club in for Andrew Newbold, is there one aspect or one decision that you're most proud of? No. No. Still on day
1: and no no, 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 there isn't. But I think changing the term of a president to a restricted term. So mm-hmm. when I got in there, you could have stayed there forever. Uh, and some people stayed for a long period of time and probably went one term too many. By reducing it to two terms of three years, six years, if you haven't achieved what you want to in that period of time, then you should step aside and allow someone else to have the opportunity. Yep. If you have achieved what you want to do, you should step aside anyway because you've achieved it. So I think getting the governance right at Hawthorne
0: at mm-hmm. that stage was very important. What's your, what's your view on the state of the game now? you enjoying watching football? Oh,
1: yes, but not with the same intensity that I had before, where you know you have a responsibility back to a large number of people, being your membership first mm-hmm. and then your employees. Uh, so I would, in those, that period of time, as you remember, I, would, I went to every game except in Adelaide, after the first, because they kept picking on me and I didn't like being picked on. And <laughs> uh, uh, They got the better of you, did they, in Adelaide? Oh, well, they hadn't forgiven me for borrowing the Grand Prix. Uh, so they were very, very bitchy. Uh, but that's all right. Uh, so I went to every game. Now I would probably go to six to nine games a year, yep. and that's enough for me. I like having my, you know, some time to myself. I'm, Felicity and I, I realised last night we've been out every night for the last 17 nights or something. Yeah. Uh, so we're still living a very, very active life and I like to have some downtime. And to be quite honest, there's nothing better in one sense than sitting at home with a bottle of whiskey, <laughs> watching it on the screen, knowing when the final siren's finished, you're home. Yeah. And you don't then have to get
0: in the car and drive, et cetera. Your, um, uh, your iconic jacket and Hawthorne shoes... Where do they now rest? The
1: shoes I wear to matches. Do you? The uh, jacket I've given to the Hawthorne Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's on display. And if you go there and have a look, you'll notice next to it there's another stand. So when the Grin Reaper comes to take me away, they're going to shove my
0: carcass <laughs> on the vacant stand and just allow me to rot
1: <laughs> until there's a pile of bones
0: beside yeah. the jacket. And you, you had that jacket specifically made, obviously, no, for the. Mate, uh... My tailor made it for me. Uh-huh. And, and when, when did you decide to have him make that for you?
1: I didn't. He made it for me and then gave it to me. Oh, so it came good. to me as a surprise. Yep. But I don't know when it was the first year I wore it. Uh, but again, and it's a bit like the shoes, uh, it created a lot of interest and comment. Uh, it drew attention to the club. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people don't like the brown and gold as colours, women, because they find it hard to wear. <laughs> I think they're fantastic colours because no one can replicate them. They stand out. Yeah. Yeah. I can't stand it when they put us in that white outfit when we play interstate, particularly in Western Australia. Mm. It's a White is the color of surrender. Hmm. In fact, it's not even a color. White and black are <laughs> colors, uh, which is why I think Collingwood looks so stupid. They're not even wearing colors, they're just wearing pigments.
0: Yeah.
1: But no, so, but that's all part of the excitement about being part of a club. Yeah. I remember when we signed up our 50,000 members. I wrote to every member of the club by hand. Uh, the body of the letter was printed. Sorry, nice you, you, you signed 50,000 letters? The a fountain pen. Yep. So, Dear Brad, signed Jeff, <laughs> to thank them on getting to our target of 50,000. Now, you don't see that thing happening very much, but again, it's part of the personal touch. Hmm. But you've got to remember, go back to what I said earlier. Hawthorne is no different from, to me from running the state or not-for-profit or my businesses. It's all about your teams and we had a wonderful team of people. The board was made up of people who one was a very good accountant, one was a good entrepreneur, one was a strategist. We had one football representative in Jason Dunstall so everyone was there for a specific pur- mm-hmm. purpose. We weren't there, as footballers, trying to deliver a commercial outcome. We were there to do a job. Mm. And it worked well together. Yes, at times we had our differences, but yeah, we cent- delivered. It certainly kept, kept everyone on Which you should remember as you go through your life with your MBA and all I your think- qualifications, of which I have none. <laughs> it's not about your degrees and everything else. It's how you apply knowledge. Yeah and leadership to whatever you're doing. Uh, Understanding that as a leader, you can be the lightning rod, but the most important thing is to understand your own strengths and weaknesses and put around you people who have the skills that you
0: don't have. Mm. How's, your, um, how's your relationship now with the, with the football club, Are you involved in any capacity?
1: Not officially, no but I'm, I speak to them all regularly, as mm-hmm. you can imagine. I give
0: advice. I'm not a finance for it, um, but I certainly give it. If you could change one thing about um, about the game now, what would that be? About the game of football? Hmm.
1: Oh, I don't know what I'd change about the game of football per se, uh, and I wouldn't comment on what I might change about the club because it's a different... Ingredient. It's a different body. It's mm-hmm. different people. The model we have is very different from the model we have today. But uh, others are in a position of authority. We support them. Mm-hmm. We wish them well. Mm-hmm. As you know, we're going through a period of change, a club in transition.
0: It's not a bad thing.
1: Oh, not a bad thing, but I'd prefer it not to mm-hmm. be the case. But it is a fact of life. Yeah. And probably this year's going to be tough next year's going to be tough because we have no draft picks Mm -hmm. so you know we're very clearly
0: in transition and whilst you still remain somewhat in the public eye what are you doing now to keep yourself busy i believe you've got seven grandchildren i've got
1: seven little australians yes uh, which occupy my time delightfully i have a great love of gardening as you know Uh i've got a number of private companies that i I'm associated with which I chair, a couple Mm -hmm. of publicly uh, listed companies I'm on the board of. uh, So I keep myself, I'm still working six days a week, and don't intend to change. Once you start to think about retiring, that's the moment you're saying you're preparing for death. (laughs) Retirement (laughs) equates with death. If you want to die early, just retire. Yes.
0: Well, Geoffrey Gibb Kennett, Thank you very much for your time. It's been very enjoyable reminiscing. Great pleasure. Do you miss the past yourself?
1: Do I miss the... Past? Uh, do you miss the applause, the adulation? Aspects of it you do, yeah. Yes. Well, that's half the trouble with a lot of your ex-colleagues. Well, it is. Oh, well, on that. They can't move from easily from having been a footballer, particularly in a good team, uh, to the next
0: stage of their life. How do you address that? Jeff, is that on the onus of the club to no, no, it's better prepare the players? Well, you can best prepare, uh, and that is
1: a responsibility of the club, but it's more up to the individuals to start understanding mm-hmm. that transformation is going to come. And importantly, I think, uh, accepting that what you've had is a wonderful experience and then quickly moving on. You mm-hmm. never want to regret. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... You're fortunate you had a long career, a lot. The average period of time for a footballer, I think, is about three and a half years. Mm -hmm. Uh, They get back into community very quickly. They get back into their peer group better than those who have been playing for 10 or 15 years. I mean, the
0: the expectation of the game now, um, in my view, is creating a, a greater disconnect between the players inside the game, that bubble, if you like, and what is the community and what is society how do you how you bridge that how do you um the the players are almost institutionalized yes but they're
1: very well paid institutions Uh, they are the the thing i think that is most worrying to me is the demands on players in terms of training Mm -hmm. is doing two things it's denying them the opportunity to pursue education at the same time in a meaningful way. Yep. Uh, there isn't a big enough break for them to go to university for a day now or half a day. And then secondly, as you know, a lot of our players, when I say ours, the 814 that are in the competition, when they have ga- downturn, time, they turn on their phones, they go onto the racing mm-hmm. app, they start betting, gambling. Yep. And they gamble incessantly. They gamble in Melbourne, they gamble in bloody Brisbane, wherever there's a race meeting. And that is a terrible indictment of the system, th- which, which reflects the failure of occupation, right? yeah. of being occupied. Yeah. So I would rather the AFL review the training periods that are allowed mm-hmm. for everyone so it's, and that they actually provide sufficient time for players to go and learn. Mm -hmm. In fact, I go one step further, and I mentioned this to a couple of people in senior places the other day, and we'll be pursuing this. I would like to see sport in Australia move to the American system, Mm. whereby you do your sport through the colleges. You're educated as you play your sport. Mm -hmm. And you, there are criteria that if you don't pursue your education, it's very hard then to pursue your sport. And I've met many American sportsmen and women, but particularly young golfers. Mm-hmm. They are so worldly, they are so articulate, uh, articulate in terms of affairs, compared to our fellows who start playing at a very early age, like many of our footballers. Their education is restricted. Mm-hmm. They're
0: not as able to participate so, in conversations. Um, I'm and I'm a fan of lifting the draft age. Mm. Um, You'd suggest that under the... Well, at the moment, it's what, 17? Yeah, the youngest. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that's right. As long as there's a criteria, why do you lift it? You lift it so that they're educated, so that you say you've got to finish your HSC Mm -hmm. before we adopt you. Or, Mm -hmm. as my basis, you then go into a college system and you learn and you play sport. At the moment, uh, half the trouble of our sportsmen and women, whatever sport they play, is that when they finish their sport, they're not
0: prepared for life? No. Well, I mean, once they once they enter the system now, they're completely cocooned, rewired, mm. uh, yeah, rewired, hardwired, institutionalised. And you many say of them cocooned?
1: Waste the money they earn. No, I don't know. Away. I don't
0: know that many, but some. I know that oh, some do. No no no, 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 many, unfortunately. Yeah. Finish
1: their careers without anything, and they've earned good money along the way.
0: Yeah. No, there's always a risk, of, a risk of that happening.
1: There are others on the other side of the coin who use their income very profitably. And we had a number at the club who did that. Hmm. But there are always a group who don't. And when their career ends, they're in great difficulty. Because they'll never earn that sort of money again.
0: So does the club assist in that transition? Is
1: the AFL responsible? No, no, it's not a matter of... them. You've got to educate your players. So when we were at Hawthorne, we always said, you've got to do a training program, as we've referred to. Only one didn't. So that's us trying to meet our responsibilities. And there should be a program of transition after you get out so that you don't end your days and then you... Back up your bag, clear out your locker, and go. Mm. There should be a process where we stay in touch. We help as best we can, but at the end of the day, the individual A level got to of be. responsibility, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, Jeff, thank you very much for your time. Very
1: enjoyable. Great pleasure. All. Thank you very much for bringing in the coffee. Uh, that's gone down very well as we've sat here and here.
0: Make sure you follow Talking Footy on Twitter at Talking Footy. And use the hashtag Talking Footy Pod like the show. Well subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We're Talking Footy